after communion, which I do not like to do. But since I was in charge of welcoming you, I needed to do that. So, so welcome everybody. We've got half the folks from the Co-Cathedral and we've got half the folks from St. Michael the Archangel. So I'm director of family life for both and so it's my, my great privilege to be with you. Um, we're gonna start at the Co-Cathedral in the spring, um, the confirmation process, and it'll be twice a year there as well. But, but I'm grateful that you're all here with, with us today and always love working with folks that are looking towards their adult confirmation because I know that you're committed in a, a different way. You've come back to receive the sacrament. And my hope is that means that um, you're excited about the faith and you're excited about saying yes to becoming fully initiated in the church. And this is really important to understand, right? Because you're not fully initiated into the Catholic Church yet. And so, so many people get married without doing this. And I'm like, but you're going beyond the sacraments before you've even been fully initiated as a Catholic Christian. And so I'm really grateful that you're here and that we can kind of revisit all the stuff you learned in catechism, if you can even remember the last time you've been in a catechism class, um, some of those things, and then hopefully go a little bit deeper. Um, and, and again, what I, want, what I want to just reiterate to you is this is not the end. This is the beginning. These are the sacraments of initiation. You, you're just getting initiated into the church. So this is just the beginning for you. And so really important for, um, for you to keep in mind as we enter into this process, which I hope that is inspiring for you, helps to move you deeper into your faith and your walk um, of life. For those sponsors that are here, um, God bless you for being here today. We're very grateful. For those of you who have, do, not have, do not have a sponsor or you are unable to find a sponsor, happy to help you with that. You just have to let me know, okay? And um, a couple of you have. Um, so before we go any further, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time today and for the next several weeks as um, we re revisit what the Lord has revealed to us first in our baptism. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we just praise you and thank you for your goodness and your grace, for your presence in our life, um, in our very selves. Um, we thank you for all the gifts that you've given to us. Lord, in particular, we, we thank you for the gift of the church. We thank you for the gift of baptism, which has made us part of you. Um, but most importantly, Lord, um, we thank you for the gift of your son. And so be with us, Lord, as we begin to unpack your story of salvation history, your call to us to become fully united um, to you in all the sacraments of the church so that we can live out our purpose to love well, um, to the fullest degree and experience the abundance of joy that you created us to have. And I ask this as I ask all things through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Um, so first, first things first. Let's look at um, the schedule. I know you've all seen it online. I don't know if they put it in the front of your folder. Did they put it in the front of your folder? Okay, perfect. So it should be in the front pocket of your folder. Um, I just want you to know that all of these classes are mandatory. Um, it's such a short process. If you miss any of them, it's problematic. Um, and so um, if for some reason something emergent comes up, you need to talk to me about it. There is a mirror process going on right now, which you may be able to make up a class on a Wednesday evening 
but that all depends as to whether or not they have covered that yet. So um, that process is the RCIA process. And so, um, so some, of those, some of the classes are similar. And so if you do have to miss something and you're able to make it up through that, um, we can work that out. Otherwise, um, we have a real hole in your formation. And, and so again, it's, it's short enough where sh you should be able to um, make time for us. I also want to make sure that you know that November 13th is the retreat and that's a oh, Saturday. So please um, make sure that that's carved out. The retreat's November 13th um, and that's from 9 a.m. Uh, to 2 p.m. here at St. Michael. And so we're going to have speakers on that day. We're going to have small group discussion on that day. You're going to receive the sacrament of confession on that day. Maybe for the first time in a long time, we want to change that. Um, and then so you're made ready for the reception of your confirmation. Now in terms of your confirmation, I wish I had a date for you, but the Archdiocese determines that. And so, um, so they will tell me when you're gonna get confirmed. Um, and so that confirmation is gonna be in January, I just don't know when. Now there's a couple of you in here that have been schooled in Catholic schools. You're not Catholic yet. And so I've allowed you to participate in this process. You will get confirmed on a different day. And so the Cardinal wants to confirm baptized Catholics. And so that's what's gonna happen in January. And for those of you who are baptized in a different faith denomination, um, you're gonna get confirmed by Father Wayne at some other time um, at St. Michael, okay? So, um, so just keep that in mind as, as we move forward. So you'll notice on the schedule that we're not just covering confirmation, we're covering the whole kit and caboodle of, of our faith. And again, that is to kind of reorient you to everything that you have learned um, before. So tonight we're gonna to talk about confirmation itself, the story of salvation history, sponsorship, and what that is all about. Um, and I'm talking about the process now. And then we're gonna kind of go through how your catechism is set up. So you'll see that um, first and foremost, it's the faith, the creed that we pronounce every, every Sunday. So after the homily, we say, I believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. Well, undergirding all of those statements is a content. It's the content of our faith. And so we're going to unpack that and talk about, well, what do we mean by Trinity? What do we mean by Mary? What do we mean by the forgiveness of your sins? What do we mean by the resurrection? What do we mean by the sacraments? And so, um, so we're going to kind of review that in each of the weeks. We have some great speakers for you. We've got Mark McNeil from Straight Jesuit, who's wonderful. Deacon Lou, who's one of our deacons. He was on the altar today with um, Father Jesus, I like to call him. Did you, who was at Mass today? Father Jesus. Um, and, um, and then, of course, I'll be speaking as well. John Barry is um, a great teacher, one of our, um, one of our parishioners here. And then Father Leon is one of our priests as well. And so, so you'll get a, a mix of, um, of different teachers. Any, any comments or questions about the process, the actual um, schedule? Next to each of those topics are page numbers. Those page numbers correspond to your catechism. I invite you to read those prior to coming to class so that you can kind of have a deeper idea about what the person is gonna be teaching about. And so that should be helpful to you. Every week I will email out to you um, the, what's gonna be happening um, the following week that you're gonna be here with us. I'm gonna encourage you to read the pages and I'll also give you the paragraphs. 
A couple of you have a different catechism, and so that's fine. Catechisms, they're, they're really the same. The paragraphs in this are going to be different than the page numbers on your, um, on your form. If you bought this separately and you want to take that and you registered, you already paid for a catechism. So you're welcome to take a blue catechism and um, give that one to somebody in your life that needs it. So, um, so the pages will correspond um, nicely if, if you kind of stick with the blue catechism. The blue catechism is actually the catechism that was promulgated most recently by Pope Francis because he, he tweaked a little bit our understanding of the death penalty as being intrinsically evil. And so we've always taught that the death penalty should be avoided at all costs, um, but he has actually formalized it as being an intrinsic evil. And so that is included in our, um, in our blue catechism. There's a green catechism and a tan catechism that John Paul II promulgated in 1992. And there's just a little bit of a different verbiage in that. So just to let you know the difference in those catechisms. Okay. Um, sponsors, sponsor, sponsors. So, um, so every sponsor has to sign a commitment to serve as a sponsor. And here we have the requirements of sponsorship noted here. And so um, I think it's really important that we understand what those are and that the sponsor signs them and is aware of those. So um, I don't ask for any proof that these things are true. I assume if you want to be a godly sponsor for the church of God, you're not going to lie about that. And so, um, so my, my prayer is that all of those, those things are, are true. But you know, I just think it's such a great um, privilege to be asked to be a sponsor. If you've been asked to be a sponsor, know that the person who asked you admires your faith. At least that's why they should have asked you. They admire your faith. They admire your walk with the Lord. They admire the way that you live your life. And hopefully, this request to be a sponsor has maybe caused you to stand up a little taller and, and say, you know what, I need a little work to be done on my prayer life or my, my faith life as well. God intervenes at many times in our lives as it relates to these things. So I ask you to respond with a fullness of heart. Um, and so um, sponsorship and confirmation, it really is a radical call and a promise, right? The sacrament of confirmation is actually present to us in Acts chapter 8 in sacred scripture, um, where there's a separation between baptism and a laying on of hands. And so the, the sacrament of confirmation is separate from baptism, but it's connected to it, right? Because it completes our baptismal grace. And so, um, so we see in the Acts, um, Acts of the Apostles that these folks have been baptized. They've, they've experienced baptism, but they haven't experienced the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They, they didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit, right? And so there is a laying on of hands, and the Spirit of God um, comes upon um, the folks in the Acts of the Apostles that the Apostles actually um, address. And so this is where we believe that the Sacrament of Confirmation was instituted um, in sacred scripture as a separate, um, a separate sacrament. We're gonna talk about baptism, but you know, baptism is, is very different, right? Because it incorporates us into the body of Christ. It makes us sons and daughters of the Father. It actually takes away original sin. Um, and so this allows now for us to have access in, um, in the way of sonship and daughtership, in a way that we can't when we have the stain of original sin on our souls. Because God cannot become one with anything 
that is sinful. And so to not be baptized is to have a lack of that original grace that we, that we lost through Adam and Eve. Every man, woman, and child lacks that original grace. And so I, I, I don't really like to talk about original Hush. I don't like to talk about original sin as a stain because it's really a lack. Original sin is a lack of God's grace. And so baptism restores that. It gives us back that life of God. But that restoration back to a life of God, we're still wounded from the original inheritance of original sin. And so we're kind of walking with a limp. We've been baptized, we've been incorporated back into the church, we've received that grace back again, but now we, our, that woundedness has to be healed. Um, and so how is it healed? It's healed through how we live the rest of our life and, and how we live in virtue, the other sacraments that we receive, um, the scripture that we read, the prayer that we engage with the Father. Um, all of those things help to restore us to who we were created to be in Christ. And so, you know, you probably have heard that story of the wedding feast, right? Where that's what we're really made for. I hope you know that. That, you know, you weren't made for um, the cute guy you might be dating. You weren't made for the great job that you're going to have or you have or the degree that you're working so hard on. You weren't made for that. You were made for more. You were made for the Lord. And so the whole of our lives is becoming made ready for the wedding feast of the Lamb, who is Christ. And so we need to be working on our garment for the wedding feast. You've all heard that story about the guy that showed up at the wedding feast and he did not have the proper garment on. And he was thrown out of the wedding feast. And so once our life is over, we've lost the opportunity to work on our garment. And so everything we do is a movement towards a participation in the wedding feast of the Lamb or a walking away from it. And so let's start today. Every day, right, is this new opportunity to begin again, to really work on our wedding garment so that it's, it's, it's really in perfect condition. And so the Lord will say when we enter those, those, you know, when we're at the gate, come on in, Mary, come on in, John, come on in, Michael. You know, um, I've been waiting for you, and I've been seeing how you've been struggling with that garment of yours, but you've done well. So, so that's where we want to be. So, so this, this confirmation, this sacrament of confirmation is a completion of this initiation into the Christian life. See, what original sin has done, it's actually weakened our will. So it's harder to be good, and it's darkened our intellect. We don't always see things clearly. You know when you do something really silly and you're, you're, you're mean to somebody that you shouldn't be mean to, like your mom or your girlfriend or your, you know, your teacher or you're disrespectful when you know you shouldn't be doing that, right? We don't always see things clearly. We don't always do the, the things we should. And that's as a result of original sin. And so, um, so confirmation actually kind of turns that around. Because see, what confirmation does is it pours out in our lives the gifts of the Holy Spirit which reverse what original sin did. Original sin darkened our intellect, weakened our will. What are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? The gifts of the Holy Spirit are things like knowledge, wisdom, counsel. They enlighten our intellect. 
They help us to do better. And so though those gifts are stirred up in us, we're given the spirit of God at our baptism, but we couldn't, we couldn't respond to it, right? Because we're babies. But confirmation now, it's called the sacrament of maturity because we're actually, we're actually called to respond to the gifts that we first were given. So, so now we, we're gonna have an enlightened intellect through the gifts of wisdom, knowledge, counsel. And our wills are gonna be strengthened. We're given fortitude, fear of the Lord, and piety. We'll talk about those things and what they are. But those are the gifts that we're given. Um, and so again, we're still fighting original sin. We're still in those original sacraments, those initial sacraments of the church. And so, so that's, that's what's so beautiful. And so Christian initiation begins. Um, your journey um, is just beginning. So how exciting is that? How exciting is that? Um, so sponsorship, you sponsor. So what does that, that mean for you as sponsors? Um, well, because the church can't sit next to the person that's preparing for confirmation, we designate someone who's actually been there, done that, live in the call of Christ well, to sit next to you. Um, and so you are a representative, this is an office in the church. And so you are a representative of the church. And so, um, so the Lord's watching um, and he wants you to be faithful witnesses to what the Catholic Church teaches and believes in the way that you live your life because um, that's what you're called to do. Um, and so I, I, I think I just alluded to this already, um, sponsorship is really an opportunity for conversion because conversion is never done. We're always in the process of rediscovering who we're called to be in Christ. Um, when I first kind of rediscovered my Catholic faith, I mean, gosh, I was in my 30s, right? I was in my 30s. And, you know, I look back to when I was, Confirmed? I can't believe that, you know, the water didn't boil, right? When Mary walked in. And so, um, but I had no idea. And, um, and God is so merciful. He's so merciful. If you had told me when I was confirmed that I was going to be teaching the faith, I'd been like, I don't know what I would say because I didn't know anything. <laughs> and so, and I think, so we're all kind of on that journey, right? You've come here with the faith that you've come here with. And now you're gonna you're gonna go you're gonna go deeper you're gonna go further, and this goes for the sponsors as well. It's another opportunity um, to go deeper into your walk with the Lord. Conversion means to turn more to turn towards the Lord, to turn towards the light, to change. And all of us are called to do that every single day. We're called to get better. And and you know you're made for the Lord, but what are you made to do for the Lord? You're made to love. That's what you're made to do. And I don't mean that sentimental, loving feeling that you get when you see your girlfriend or your boyfriend or you watch a nostalgic movie. I just saw Barry Manilow and probably half of you don't even know who he is. But I was crying the whole time, right? So that's my nostalgia because all those wonderful songs that brought back all those wonderful feelings um, in my heart. But what love is, love is an act of the will. Love is willing the good of another. If I love you, then I'm going to do what's good for you, regardless of what it means to me. Like, I don't do something good just because of what I'm going to get out of it. That's not loving. That's actually selfish, isn't it? And so a call to love is a call to will the good of our friends, our family. If you're married, your primary 
willing the good is your spouse, right? If you're not married, I hate to tell you this, it's everybody else. <laughs> so it's everybody you encounter. That's what we're called to. And so what is willing the good of the other? Well, it's not just to give them what they want, it's to give them what they're made for, which is holiness of life. And so if my spouse is made for God, then I need to be willing to subordinate my desires to help him to do the right thing, right? So I, I need to be willing to keep my mouth shut if it means he may sin because I've said something that's gonna push his button. I need to keep my mouth shut. Or, you know, I need to pray for him. Or I need to not buy something that's gonna put us over budget and stress him out. Or, you know, I mean, this is, it's in the little stuff that we really struggle, right? And so that's what it means to love. And that's what it means to continue um, that conversion, conversion process. I hope that I'm better at loving today than I was. I know I'm better at loving than I was when I was first confirmed. We were confirmed like in seventh grade when I was, I grew up in New Jersey. So it was, um, so it was kind of a different process, but, but now it's high school. And so I know that you're, you all, um, have, have learned more about that. And so my prayer is that that, that conversion process um, continues. So what does a sponsor do? You know, a sponsor is called um, to be a guide. They're called to be a model. Um, and there's a great book that, um, actually, I should have given you all a copy of it. I, I, maybe I will next week. I've got tons of copies of it. It's, it's, um, it's called the, the Signs of a Dynamic Catholic. Anybody read or heard Matthew Kelly speak? or anything, he's great, right? So he wrote this book that, that's called The Four Signs of a Dynamic Catholic. Um, and all of us want to know what, what those are. Well, a, a dynamic Catholic is a person that prays regularly, has a regular habit of prayer. This is what a sponsor should be. A sponsor should be a person of prayer. Do you know what the highest form of prayer is for a Catholic? Communion. Mass. Mass. The mass is the highest form of prayer for a Catholic. Does your sponsor go to Mass? It's a mortal sin to not go to Mass on Sunday. This is the first you've heard it? Good news for you, you're not held accountable, but now you know. Missing Mass on Sunday is a mortal sin. God is not offended by that. But you suffer. Because you need his word and you need his sacrament. We need to be in communion with the Lord. And that's the only way that we can be in communion with the Lord that fully on this side of heaven. And so, if we're not going to Mass every week, we need to go to Mass every week. Why would you want to be confirmed if you're not going to Mass? I mean, just, there's just no reason for it. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to be offensive at all, because I, I really don't. Um, but I have this problem when I think something, i got to speak it. It's a real problem for me, okay? So, but, um, but I say this all the time to my folks that are in the RCAA process. I love that this room is full, but if there was one person in here, I'd still be here saying what I'm saying. We do not need any more mediocre Catholics. We do not. There are enough mediocre Catholics. What we want is we want people who love the church, who believe what she teaches, and live it out, because that's our purpose. It's our purpose. And so, you know, if, if you're not serious about it, you know, I just ask maybe you go to another confirmation process because I, I don't want to be part of that. I want you to be amazing. I want you to be so excited about being confirmed, about receiving communion, 
Um, and so, so really, um, really this is a discernment process. So prayer, you need to be a man or a woman of prayer. You need to be committed to continuing education, which is what you're doing right now. So good for you. But sponsors, you should be reading your Bible every day. I've been doing the Bible in a year with Father Mike. Fantastic. I've never read the whole Old Testament fully, but what a great gift. You know, we're on like day 270-something. I don't know what I'm on. But, you know, what a gift to just be reading like, you know, five or six chapters. He reads to us, and then he gives us some explanation at the end of it. It's like 20 minutes a day. What a gift. And so I've, I've learned more about that. So what are you doing? Because you know what? If you do go to Mass once a week, which, listen, only 30% of Catholics go to Mass every week. Only 30% of Catholics go to Mass every week. If you do go to Mass, you get one hour versus the 97 hours of awake time of the world pounding you, right? With the craziness, the voices of the world. That ain't enough. And only 30% of you do it. So I know that like 70% are like, they're dying, you're dying. Because that's what a mortal sin is. A mortal sin is a sin that kills. That's what that means. You know why? Because we can't have access to eternal life without his grace, without his goodness. And so, um, so commitment to continuing education, Bible studies, reading the word, listening to a, you know, a, a faith formation program, whatever that might be. A dynamic Catholic is one who's generous. I loved what Father had to say, Father Jesus had to say today. You know, he was a mission priest, so he's asking for money because his job is to feed the hungry, clothe the poor, and uh, clothe the naked, and shelter the homeless. And he doesn't have any money in third world countries to do that, and so he needs us to be generous. Um, now, maybe you're not going to give to the mission. That's okay, but are you a registered member of your parish? And do you give on a regular basis? I don't care what that is. I don't care if it's five bucks a week, five bucks a month. But you know, everything that we do here costs money. It all costs money. And this is God's work. And you know what? By virtue of your baptism, you're called to participate in it. And then when you're fully initiated through confirmation, man, you know, you got work to do. And so we got to support the mission of the church. And the only way that we can do that is through being generous with our time, our talents, and our money. Um, and, and you should notice, it's interesting, you should notice, and I'm new at the Co-Cathedral, so I'm, I'm used to St. Michael. You know, St. Michael's, we're, we're very blessed. We have a very generous community. Our weekly budget is $56,000 a week to do everything we do. Think if your budget was that. Scary, huh? You know, we, we go for anywhere between 48 and 58. Maybe sometimes we hit 60. The Co-Cathedral, its budget is 35,000, and I have not seen it hit 20,000 yet, every week. That's just to meet its expenses. And so, so that's scary, you know, those are our churches, you know, and if we want our church doors open, we want, we want good programming, we want those kinds of things, um, we gotta support the church. And so, um, so pay attention to what's going on in your, in your um, parish. Make sure you're a registered parishioner. For you young adults, when you go to get married, if you're not a registered parishioner, you don't get the discount that the church offers for, for parishioners. You know, father can't sign off on you getting married at your future wife's um, church if he doesn't know who you are. If you're not a registered parishioner. 
And so, um, so become a registered parishioner. Get involved in the church. Become part of um, who you're called to be. So are you generous? And then do you evangelize? Now, this doesn't mean to stand out on the corner with the Bible, right? It just means to live a, a good life and to not be afraid to, you know, claim your Catholicism, you know, and to share it with your kids, share it with a brother or sister. I mean, I think there's one person in here that's coming here because he was so overcome by his wife getting confirmed. I love that. It's a beautiful story. Um, you know, and someone else who, you know, who his whole family got baptized and he didn't, he didn't get, he didn't get that. You know, um, I, you know, I love to hear these stories, and it's, sometimes it's heartbreaking. Sometimes people think they're not allowed to become, you know, Catholic for some reason, and it's kind of a fallacy that they heard from somebody else. So, so we're called to evangelize. We're, we're called to share what we believe. We're called to share our faith, and that's part of So these are, this is the signs of a dynamic Catholic, and this is who should be our sponsors. And so important for us to keep that in mind. Um, what a sponsor is not, is they're not a theologian, they're not necessarily a catechist. A catechist is someone who um, teaches the faith, like me, I'm a catechist, I guess you call me a catechist. Um, so, you know, it's important, you don't need to have any special qualifications except to be a practicing Catholic, which means that you're a practicing Catholic. So, um, so important. Um, so what you should be doing for, for your, your sponsee, I guess I'll say, is um, you should be one who prays for them, right? You should be supporting them. You should be talking to them about it. You're, you should be one who listens, who's respectful. And to know that their, their spirituality may not be your spirituality, because all of us have a different spirituality, right? There's different ways that we pray. Some people are very uncomfortable with spontaneous prayer. Other people love to pray the rosary every day. You know, some people, you know, would rather just do the prayers of the church. Those things are fine. But to know that... Um, your sponsee has the ability to, um, to choose. So some of the things that I count on sponsors for is to kind of watch the progression of your sponsee and see how they're doing. One of the ways that I know that somebody's doing well in the process is that they show up for class, right? And so they participate in the class, um, they're interested, um, and so, the preparation process for the confirmande, um, actually, I'm sorry, I'm talking about something else right now. So the preparation process is, is basically this period of catechesis that moves you towards the sacrament. This is what you receive. Anybody know what catechize means? To catechize, what catechesis means? It's a funny word. It's such a Catholic word, right? It means to echo down, which means to give what was given by Christ to us. So, my teaching, this is not my own, right? It's the church's teaching. And so to catechize is to echo down, to say what Christ said, um, to teach what Christ taught. And so this is your preparation process. You're moving towards the sacrament. There's a period of catechesis. At the retreat, you're going to receive the sacrament of reconciliation, which again is going to make you ready for another sacrament. Every time you get, you get prepared for a sacrament, like marriage, you should go to confession before you receive that sacrament. That's just part of the preparation process. Um, and then you actually declare this when you're actually confirmed. It's a, it's a declaration that you make um, when you say, yes, I do. Um, and your sponsor's right by your side, confirming that he has witnessed your movement towards the sacrament in a proper way. 
And then, of course, the graces of the sacrament are the ones that I've, I've already mentioned, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the ability to now be a witness um, to the faith. So here, I was a little ahead of myself. How do we know that you've done well and you're, you're progressing as you should? Attendance at, at weekly sessions, um, certainly weekly mass, it's a minimum. Um, again, I can't encourage that enough. Um, we have this at 12.15, so you can go to the 11 o'clock Mass, and even if we have a, you know, a Father Jesus, it's okay to be a little late if you're at Mass. I'm happy about that. Um, and then, you know, are you more interested? Are, have you re-engaged in, 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 in prayer? Have you, um, are you more interested in serving? These are all things that you know, the Spirit really kind of um, tells us. And then I am certain that there are some issues that the church teaches that you may struggle with. And that's okay. That is really okay. Um, what I want to always tell you, and I always tell people who are discerning the Catholic faith this, is that um, just don't tell me that you're never going to believe that. Right? Because how can God work on a heart like that? Due to the hardness of your hearts, right? Jesus always talks about the hardness of our hearts. Don't let your heart be hard. Say, I'm not really sure about that. I'm not really sure I understand that, but I'm open. That's, what, that's where we want you to be. We want you to be open. That's so that the Lord can, can work on your heart. That's really important. Um, and so, but I do, I do really want to know what those issues are so I can help you with them, you know? I, I'm not in a position of refusing you this sacrament. I just want you to, I just want you to engage the teaching and to be open to the Lord, um, making you the best Christian that you can be. Um, okay, very important. Who can be a sponsor? Very important. Um, has to be at least 16 years of age. Um, cannot be a parent. Your parent is already your primary catechist, right? It's already your primary teacher. Um, and so this person has to be in full communion with the church, which means that they've fully initiated, so they've already been confirmed themselves. Um, if they're married, they've been married in the Catholic Church. And so that's important. Practicing their faith. So if someone's cohabiting with their boyfriend or girlfriend, they are not a proper sponsor. That's living outside of the teachings of the church. And so, um, so important to know that. And, and you're signing your name to that. So, um, so important. So confirmation completes baptismal grace and the Eucharist completes Christian initiation. And so, so once all three of these sacraments have been received, you are fully initiated into um, the Catholic Church. Just some ideas um, that you can do as a sponsor. I, I think that, you know, again, these are important. To pray daily for this person that you're sponsoring. To attend meetings with them. You don't have to, but you're welcome. You're welcome anytime that you can attend. It's helpful. You can then talk about the, the sessions afterward. Say, that Mary Capri, she's, she's kind of weird. She's kind of weird. It's okay. It's okay to talk about me like that. Just talk about it. That's what I want you to do. Um, call them. Encourage them. Go to Mass together. Um, talk about the faith. Encourage them to ask me questions or somebody else about things they're concerned about. Um, invite them to participate in your ministry programs. Again, you're a model for them. And then, um, I already talked about, don't try to persuade them into your type of spirituality. If they're interested in it, great. But trust in the Lord. You know, trust in the Lord. I've been doing this now for about 14 years, and I, 
you know, it's not my work, it's the Lord's work. I have to just show up and, and kind of be the instrument. And the same with us, you know, same with you. So just know that, um, that it's really not up to you, it's, it's really up to the Lord. And so that's important. Um, and then lastly, um, don't walk away sadly. What do I mean by that? So I've thrown a lot of stuff at you this morning. And um, I see some shoulders slumping. I don't want any slumped shoulders. I want shoulders um, back. Being a Christian is not for cowards or weak people. <laughs> it, is, it is a call, right? It is a call. Of, and Jesus doesn't say, you know, come on, follow me and put your feet up. He says, pick up your cross, right? And come follow me. And so... Um, so it's hard work, and if you're not struggling as a Christian, I would question your walk, you know, because it's hard, especially in this culture and in this world. This story that I'm talking about, anybody know what this story is? Don't walk away sadly. Anybody think about what this was about? What, what's it about? Yeah, very good. So it's a story. I love it. A sponsor just answered this question. I love it. So it's a story of the rich young man. Right? And the rich young man approaches Jesus and wants to know what all of you want to know. He wants to know, how can I be happy? What must I do to achieve eternal life? Because he's a good Jew, he knows that eternal life is what happiness is all about. And he, he sees something in the person of Christ. He sees, he sees that this, this guy knows something. He's attracted to the personality of Jesus. For some reason, you guys are all here to receive the sacrament of confirmation in the Catholic Church. That's a miracle, as far as I'm concerned. With the way the Catholic Church is maligned in the press and the world, that's a miracle. And most of you are young. I love it. Um, what must I do to attain eternal life? Um, and Jesus says to him, follow the commandments. And the rich young man says, I got that. I've been doing that since I'm a youth. And you probably have all said that too. I haven't killed anybody today. I haven't stolen anything. If I'm married, I haven't committed adultery. Um, well, Jesus calls us to a little more than just those uh, minimalistic ways of following the commandments. He calls us to love. But I'll cover that later in the moral life. But Jesus says to the rich young man, he says, that's pretty amazing. He says, that well done that you're following the commandments. And, and, but the rich young man pushes him, right? He's, he's persevering. He's, he, wants, he says, I know there's something more than just following the commands. And Jesus says, okay, if you wish to be perfect, not if you are perfect or if you have perfect understanding, but if you wish to be perfect, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And this is usually where I lose you, right? But see, Jesus knows the heart of this rich young man because he's God. And he knows that this rich young man struggles with his stuff. And he's more attached to his stuff than he is interested in God. And so he's, claimed, he's naming this guy's sin. See, we, we don't do that here. We've got to name our own sin, right? And so what Jesus is challenging all of us to do is look at our lives. Where are we struggling? Where are we falling short? Maybe it's mass. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's continuing education in, Christ in Christianity. Maybe it's in being kind to others. Maybe it's in my generosity. Whatever it is, 
you have to name it, and you got to do something about it with God's grace. The rich young man is overwhelmed by that. And maybe some of the things I threw out today, you're thinking, oh, I don't know. You know, you're overwhelmed. And Jesus says to his apostles, he's like, you know, it's more difficult for a rich man to get into heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now his apostles are overwhelmed and they're like, are you kidding me? If a rich guy can't do it, who has the resources, the connections, the education, if he can't do it, who can? And Jesus says the most important thing that you must take with you. He says, for man alone, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You can't live your life as a Christian without the Lord. And that's why you need the sacraments. That's why you need the sacraments. And so, so know that you're not going this alone. The Spirit of the Lord got you here, and he's going to accompany you. Um, and my, my prayer for you is that you, um, you, know, you stay connected to that. Um, and don't let me or anybody else scare you away. Um, questions? Concerns? Sponsors have any questions or concerns? Thoughts? Yes. Uh, just, I just wonder if you're familiar with this book. If it's, you know, someone who read it, or I think I don't know that um, author, but that doesn't mean it. It's by Tan, so I'm sure it's a great, a great book. The Incredible Catholic Mass. I love it. Yeah, that's great. You know, it's a great publisher. Anybody else? What I'd like to do um, to kind of provide for you an overview of what you're going to be hearing um, is to provide you with what we call the story of salvation history. Um, I didn't hear the story in its entirety until I was in my 30s again. I didn't know there was a story. I didn't know I was in the story. One of my professors used to say, this is his story, history, his story, Christ's story. And we're part of it. And um, the story continues today. And the outcome really, you know, it's important that we participate in it for the outcome. Because if we don't participate in it, the story is going to be less rich than it, what, it, what it should have been. And so we have that, we have that, um, that responsibility. So I want to share with you the story of salvation history because we've all heard parts of the story. But I think very few of us have heard the entirety of the story. So I want to play that for you. I forget how many minutes it is. It's, it's, it's more than 20 minutes. But I want you to hear it um, because this is really what we're going to be covering over the next um, several weeks and um, unpacking some of this for you. I hope the sound is on. We should realize we're not just entering a building, we're entering a story. 
all the art, architecture, statues, mosaics, and paintings are not there just to decorate the church. Each piece is like a page from a great book. And they come together to proclaim the story of salvation in which we are called to participate. For example, pilgrims entering this basilica are greeted by statues of the 12 apostles set in the very pillars holding up the basilica. This symbolizes how these men are the foundation of the church Jesus Christ established. Above, artistic depictions tell the story of the Old Testament, from Adam to Jonah on one side, and the story of Jesus from his baptism to his resurrection on the other. So as pilgrims walk down the main aisle, they are walking through salvation history. And as they look forward, they see behind the main altar a mosaic of Jesus' face, a key focal point for the whole basilica. Here we see that it is Jesus drawing the pilgrim through the story of salvation, drawing them ultimately to the altar for worship, where he comes down to meet us. In churches like this one, pilgrims for centuries would go near to the main altar, where they would kneel down and recite the Christian creed, the summary statement of the faith. And when they would do this, it's as if each would be professing the story of faith proclaimed in this basilica is my story too.
don't realize that there really is a plan, that life actually makes sense because God himself has given us this life and is providing for us. And all of our lives together make sense together. And there's a purpose, right? There's a plan, there's a point to life. Today, the trend is more um, very isolated. I'm an individual, um, you're an individual. We don't really have much in common or to share. In fact, even in my own life, yesterday doesn't really matter, tomorrow doesn't really matter. It's not really connected. And uh, if you really buy into that, if you really subscribe to that kind of philosophy of life, what happens is we find ourselves in despair because life then kind of seems pointless. Where is this all going? Nowhere. What's the point? There's not one. Uh, what's the meaning of life? Nobody knows. And that's real reason for despair today. We find people living that out. But the truth of the matter is that God himself is providing for us. God has a plan. And when you understand that God is all-powerful and all-loving, and you put those two things together, you come up with this new word called providence, that God made us and is with us and is going to provide for us. And the whole of history is really moving toward this goal, which is hopefully heaven, right? Life in Christ forever. So tell me about the story. How does the story begin? Uh, well, our, the story is interesting because it doesn't have a beginning, because the story begins with God, right? Who doesn't have a beginning. And really the whole story is about God's never-ending love. Um, but let's just start by saying there's two things about God that are really critical here to understand the story properly. And that is, first, God really is God. Like, He really is higher than our highest. Like, my father's favorite saying used to be, Scott, just remember, there is a God, and you're not Him. <laughs> now, that's a pretty good start, right, for understanding who I am in the whole order of the world. Um, the second thing to remember about God is that God is love. Right? God is actually a community of persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, what we call the Trinity. God, in, 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 his, in his very nature, really is um, self-outpouring love and a communion of persons. And then God wants to share that love right, with the human person. And so he creates the human person in order to share this love with us. Right? And when he does that, he creates really our first parents, Adam and Eve. And um, that's his plan, is to create us as a family through Adam and Eve. So we were made originally in union together and in union with God. What happened? Yeah, so, so exactly, we're created. He creates Adam and Eve in a way that, that they can be in this beautiful harmony. They're with God. They're in right relationship with God. Life is ordered. And they know God with their minds. They really know him. And with their wills, they can, they can very easily uh, follow him. But something happens, and that is that they're tempted. Right? And they're tempted by Satan and all the fallen angels, right? Because God didn't just make the human person, he made angelic persons. Some of the angels decided not to follow God. And until the end of time, those angels are really seeking our ruin. And they were, they were seeking the ruin of Adam and Eve. And so Satan tempts Adam and Eve, and they decide not to follow God. Right? They give in to the battle. And when they do that, that harmony, that beautiful relationship is destroyed. Adam and Eve destroyed it. They could know God. Now it's harder to know God because sin makes it harder to know God. They could, they could follow God with their, with their human will. Now it's going to be a lot harder to follow God with their human will. So when Adam and Eve fall because they're our first parents, this sin and the damage of sin is echoed down to generation to generation, even to today, where, as you know, you and I really sit in this cosmic battle between good and evil being tempted by Satan not to follow God. And there's this uh, church language that's used to describe this reality of, of uh, how we've been wounded because of Adam and Eve's first sin. That's original sin. What, what is that? Yeah, so, so this original sin, this 
first sin that Adam and Eve um, contractually by not following God, it echoes down, and we all inherit this because we're all a family under Adam and Eve, in what is sometimes called concupiscence. It's just a, I have a fancy word, concupiscence, which simply means um, we have an inclination to sin. So you can see now we're in some trouble because it's harder to know God, it's harder to follow God, the communion that we have with Him and each other is, is blown apart, and we're easy targets for Satan because we have an inclination to sin, and so Satan now has set up this situation where he has a certain in on us, right? He has a certain easy target on us. So this is anything really, you know, uh, extraordinary. This is something almost, uh, this is something every human person experiences, you know, that we, we may have a sense of what's right, but sometimes we're not sure. It's not clear to us what the right thing is. And sometimes we may even know what the right thing is to do, but we don't do it. You know, I know I should get up at a certain time, or I know I should be kind or patient, but I'm not. I'm not kind or not patient. Uh, that's the reality every human person faces, and that's all a result of all that you're describing. Exactly. Now, the beautiful thing is that God knows this. And remember, the whole story is really about God's never-ending love, and God sees the battle. He knows what happened. We're his sons and his daughters. He sees us wounded. He's not going to leave us out of the battlefield alone. So when, when God approaches Adam and Eve, even in the garden, even after they just sinned against him, he's just a generous uh, God, God of mercy and grace. And so he approaches them and he tells them right away, I'm not going to leave you orphan. I'm, I, I am going to send my son. Uh, he promises immediately that he's going to send his son really to destroy this, this death and to really uh, restore us right to his life as sons and daughters of God. And today we're living in the middle of this story and the story is continued uh, in our own lives. Yeah, and we have the same choice that Adam and Eve had. We have this loving God is revealing himself and wants to have communion with us, and we have Satan, and we have the fallen angels, the demons prowling around, seeking our room, and we have to remember that, that there is a story, and we're in it, and every decision that we make is either a decision closer to God and closer to heaven, or uh, closer to sin and closer to death and eternal damnation. And the modern world would like us to believe, you know what, there is no story, there is no good and evil, and there is no point. And that's the same lie that Satan wants us to buy into. Christianity. They may think about Bible stories such as Noah and the Ark or Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. Or they may think of events from Jesus' life. He was born in Bethlehem. He died on a cross. Or they may recall how Jesus established a church and gave us baptism in the Eucharist. So they're familiar with these individual pieces, but how do they all relate together? That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to see how these individual aspects of Christianity all come together to tell the one marvelous story of God's plan of salvation. This great story can be divided in three major parts. First, God, who is perfectly happy on his own, freely chose to create us out of his own love and goodness, to share his love and goodness. He made us in his image to live like him, to live 
self-giving love. And we see our first parents, Adam and Eve, living this way. So there was originally this great unity that they had with God, but that harmony with God spilled over in their own relationship. So there was great unity within the human family. So originally, the human family was the united family of God. But then, Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God and refused to give themselves as a gift of love. And as a result, they hurt their relationship with God. In fact, the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve turned away from the presence of the Lord God. But their sin also hurt their relationship with each other. The Bible shows us that after they sin, they start blaming each other. They don't trust each other. There's tension in their relationship. So sin breaks our relationship with God on the vertical level, but it also hurts our relationship with each other on the horizontal level. So in the end, we see that God's people, far from being the united family of God, have become a broken human family. Nevertheless, God has a plan. And we see him in salvation history gradually gathering his people back. He works with key leaders in the Bible, people like Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David. And this great plan reaches its climax when God sends his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins and offer that perfect gift of love that restores us to the Father. And the Son sends the Holy Spirit to fill us with his very life. But Jesus doesn't want to save us individually, separate from each other. We've seen throughout salvation history, God drawing people back to himself to restore unity on that vertical level. But he also wants to draw people together in unity on that horizontal level. That's why Jesus establishes one worldwide church that gathers all humanity back into the one family of God. This universal church, or this Catholic church. In fact, the word Catholic means universal. For 2,000 years, the Catholic Church has been faithfully handing on the teachings of Jesus Christ, and through the sacraments, the graces he won for us on the cross, so that we might be equipped to live like him, to live that total self-giving love that we were made for from the very beginning, so that we might be with God forever in heaven. Now, let's take a closer look at this story of salvation as we move from creation the fall to redemption in Jesus Christ and the Catholic Church. God first announces his plan of salvation in the Garden of Eden, where he announces that one day a Savior will come to redeem all of humanity. So God begins his plan of salvation with this enormous vision, but he also starts it very, very small with just one couple, Adam and Eve, and then that expands to one chosen family with Noah and his family. And then the plan of salvation expands to include one chosen tribe of Abraham and his whole tribe. And then it expands to one chosen nation of Moses and the whole people of Israel. Then finally it expands to one chosen kingdom with King David and his heirs and the kingdom of Israel. Now all of these Old Testament stories are brought to culmination and fulfillment in the life of Jesus, who comes as a new king to establish a new kingdom that is the church. And the church is meant for the salvation of the entire world, not just anymore one family or one tribe or one nation, but the whole world is invited to share the salvation which Jesus brings. If I had to pick just one story from the Bible that could unlock for you the rest of salvation history, it would be the story of Abraham. In the story, we see how God gives Abraham 
three promises that really serve as a table of contents for understanding the rest of the Bible. So if you know these three promises given to Abraham, you'll understand God's plan of salvation very well. In these three promises, we see how God wants to use Abraham and his descendants, the nation of Israel, as his instrument for bringing blessing to the rest of the world, gathering the nations back into one covenant family. Let's take a look at those three promises and see how they unfold in Israel's history. First of all, God promised Abraham that one day his descendants would become a great nation. That promise is fulfilled in the time of Moses. Moses takes Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, out of Egypt and brings them to the promised land. They become a nation ruling over themselves. The second promise is that Abraham was told by God that one day his descendants would become a great kingdom. Kings would come forth from his line. They're not just a nation, they're a kingdom ruling over other nations now. That becomes fulfilled in the time of David. David establishes the kingdom of Israel and, and expands the borders of Israel. They begin ruling over other nations. His son Solomon, in fact, starts teaching the pagan nations the truth about the one true God. But God has even bigger plans in store for Abraham's family. They would become not just a nation, not just a kingdom, but they would become one day a source of bringing blessing to the entire world. And we see this third promise fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate son of Abraham. Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of God, comes to die on the cross for our sins, to establish his church, and gather all nations back into the one covenant family of God. God's whole plan of salvation comes to fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. God become man. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to the world to, to redeem the world from sin. God did not just send a messenger or an angel or a prophet or a healer. He sent his very own son, who's divine, so that we might have new life. Now, Jesus came to the world. He preached the kingdom of God. He preached repentance. He did many miracles and signs. But he also suffered. He died on the cross. And God raised him from the dead so that we might have hope of new life, of eternal life with God in heaven forever. So why did God become man? Well, it's very simple. We, as sinful human beings, broke God's infinite law and therefore incurred an infinite debt to God that we were not able to repay. So Jesus, as God become man, can represent us as a man, but also has the ability to repay the infinite debt that we incurred as God. So Jesus, on our behalf, pays the debt of sin to God through his crucifixion and death on the cross, and uh, offers us new eternal life through his resurrection. So how does Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully human, redeem us from our sin? And I'm going to tell a story. I call it the story of two gardens. And let's go back to the Garden of Eden, where we had Adam, who was the Son of God. And he was in the Garden, and he was in perfect communion with God. But then he faced a test, a temptation, and he proved to be unfaithful. He disobeyed God. And that led ultimately to him being banned from eating the fruit of the Tree of Life, which meant he lost total communion with God. But now, centuries later, we find ourselves in another garden. In this garden of Gethsemane, we find Jesus, the new Adam, who's not just a man, but he's fully God. And Jesus is facing this enormous test. And that enormous test is the crucifixion the next day. And he has a choice to either obey or to not obey his father. But Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane has perfect obedience. He says three times, Father, not my will be done, but yours. And his perfect obedience leads to the crucifixion, to the cross. 
And the early church fathers, they called the cross the tree. Why? Because Jesus Christ crucified, because he's fully God and fully man, becomes the new tree of life. So what we see here is Jesus, the new Adam, is canceling out the disobedience of Adam. And once again, through the cross, through the new tree of life, restoring us to full communion with God. During his earthly ministry, Jesus not only proclaimed the kingdom of God, but he established the kingdom of God in his church. He appointed 12 apostles to be his successors, to proclaim the kingdom of God throughout the world, to make disciples and to baptize them. The apostles handed on their authority to the bishops, and the bishops to their successors down to the church today. So the church takes on the mission of Jesus, the mission of proclamation, of baptizing, and of making disciples in every nation and every generation, constantly expanding God's plan of salvation to include everyone in intimate communion with Christ. We've seen how God's plan from the very beginning was for us to be united with Him and united with each other. But sin has brought division into this world. We are a broken family of man, but God has been gradually gathering His people back, and this plan culminates when He sends His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins and to gather us all back into one covenant family. That's why the apostles proclaim one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one church. And the church is the reunited family of God. One of the things that we will be judged on at the end of time is how well we live this unity with Jesus. Jesus Christ will come to judge the living and the dead at the end of time. Everyone will be judged on the basis of what they've done, on their, on their deeds, whether they've chosen love of self or love of God. And by this judgment, Jesus will usher in the final stage of the kingdom of God, the time of unity between Jesus and his bride, the church, in an everlasting union of love. Every day we make choices, and those choices are either going to lead us closer to God or farther away from Him. And every day, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit through His church that we might live out our lives in accordance with His plan and make the right choices so that we can live with Him forever in heaven. Our ultimate destiny in Christ is eternal life in heaven with Him. And each and every day, Jesus is inviting us to walk with Him. He's inviting us to experience this life and this salvation that he desires to give us. But we, every day, have to cooperate with that grace. We have to invite that life of Christ into our own lives. And when we do that, and when we walk with Jesus Christ, we experience the fullness of life and love that he desires us to have with him forever and ever. If we consider all we've explored in today's session, we can see there are three major parts in the story of salvation. First, creation. God, who is infinitely perfect and happy in himself, really created man to make him share in his own goodness and love. Man and woman were made in God's image, made to know and love God, capable of giving themselves in love. Originally, man and woman had unity with God on the vertical level and harmony between themselves on the horizontal level. Humanity was the united family of God, reflecting the unity of God himself. Second, the fall. Man and woman sinned. They disobeyed God and refused to give themselves in love. This sin broke our relationship with God and broke the harmony between man and woman. This original sin also brought death into the world and wounded our human nature, making it difficult for Adam and Eve's descendants to know the truth and do the good. We all now have an inclination towards sin, an inclination called concupiscence. Third, redemption. 
God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, offering on our behalf the perfect gift of love that restores us to the Father. And the Father sent the Son to send the Holy Spirit to fill us with his very life. But Jesus didn't come to save us individually. He established the universal Catholic Church to gather the broken family of man into the united family of God. The Catholic Church passes on the teachings of Christ and through the sacraments dispenses the graces he won for us on the cross to equip us to do the good we find so difficult to do, to enable us to live like Christ, indeed to live in Christ, so that we may be with him forever in heaven. Now, let's take a look at how we live this story in our daily lives. Curtis, we've been hearing about this great story, God's plan of salvation, and that we have a role to play in the story, but what does that really mean for us? Well, first of all, I think it's so great to be Catholics because we understand not just the stories, the small stories that are in the Bible, but we've come to understand the giant story. And as we read that and recognize life has meaning and purpose, then something more amazing happens. At particular when we encounter the Gospels, we start to meet Jesus, we encounter him in the Gospels, and he invites us into the story. We start to realize that we've been invited to write the most recent chapter in salvation history. That actually what's going on right now is part of this giant story. And we're not just spectators. We actually have roles to play. We actually are a, a role to play that's so vitally important that if we don't do that, if we don't respond, the world is poorer because of that. And so that's the exciting thing to recognize. God has such intense meaning and purpose for your life. And he's been writing about this. And you have a part to play in all of this. What does this mean for me, just daily, saying you know, the way I live my life will, will, will make a big difference, you know, one way or the other? What does that mean just in terms of my desire to live the story day to day? Well, first of all, let's compare and contrast that to the rest of what the world is saying. The world is saying your life really doesn't mean anything. You can do whatever you want because you're, you're not that significant. So play hours of video games. Waste time all day long. You think about the noise, the iPads, the iPhones, and all these things. And again, not knocking uh, Apple, but it's distracting. There's noise in our ears. There's visual images all around us. And it gets us distracted from the, from the story, from salvation history, recognizing we've got this role to play. It's vitally important. You can't kill time without injury eternity. There's this deep sense of what we do with the moments of our life every day makes enormous difference. And if we could see that, it would change the way that we would live and act. A lot of the brokenness that we see in the modern world, how much would you say that's due to the fact that the, the modern world has lost the sense of, of life being a part of this larger story? Well, I think it, the, those who are experts in this would say that one of the fundamental characteristics of our world is that there is no sense of narrative in our lives at all. Uh, modernity kind of teaches this, as we said before. You can do whatever you want, which really means you have no relevance whatsoever. Go ahead and do whatever you want because you have no part to play. Your choices don't matter. They don't matter. You don't matter. Your choices don't matter. I mean, you would never say that to somebody. You know, you would never say that to the President of the United States. You'd never say that to a soldier who's coming up the hill. All of a sudden, you're coming up the hill against the enemy. All of a sudden, you do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. No, I need you right now. And for us to realize that we have a desperate need, God has made us to depend on one another. And the way that we become reliable in those relationships is to live the way God wanted, wants us to live, has called us to live. And the way we do that is to be in union with Him by meeting Him in prayer by talking to him on a regular basis, by receiving grace through the sacraments, and then going out and making the decisions in day-to-day life with the heart of a hero. Because there really is a drama at play, as it was in the book of Genesis and Exodus, in the, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. There is right now, in, in our lives, a drama playing out, and our choices make tremendous difference in the way things play out.
How about you personally? This idea that you, you are part of a larger story. Uh, how do you practically live this out? Like, what are the ways you find yourself making decisions and realizing, wow, I, I better make a good decision to be a part of the, of the story and be a hero in the story? Well, the interesting thing is that when you realize that you have a, a role in this story, even though the role compared to that of Jesus is a much smaller role, it actually gives dignity to your life. I know in my own life, all of a sudden, everything made more sense. Everything was more important because I realized I was playing a, a, even a small part, but a small part that's irreplaceable in the greatest story ever told. And I, I think of a friend of mine who called me up one day, was very excited that, that she got a new job, and she, and she was, went on and on the new job. I said, well, what exactly are you doing? She said, well, I'm gonna be opening mail. I'm thinking, why would you be excited? But she had been hired by the President of the United States to open mail. And because she was part of something much bigger, even though her role seemed somewhat insignificant, this was attacked to something so amazingly important, well, the president's job is really important, but it's nothing compared to the role of Jesus Christ, his person, everything that he's done. And for us to realize we have a role to play, and it's direct service to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, means that I actually have to try to bring my A game every day, all day long. I fail all the time, but when I'm recovering from those failures, it is the reminder that Jesus Christ has invited me to live in union with him, and that I'm part of a project that he's leading. And so it really has changed the way that I, I, I live in my marriage, the way that I raise my children, the way that I, I do my work, and even the work that I do about working in evangelization with college students, all of these things have been guided by this invitation to be part of something far greater than I am and finding my dignity in that. This reminds me of something I've heard you talk about before, which is a great reflection that a Catholic saint named St. Ignatius of Loyola once gave about what he calls the two standards. Could you explain that for us? Absolutely. Ignatius, the founder of the Jesuits, was calling a generation to recognize how important their lives were and at a certain point in time, he's asking us to reflect in the midst of his retreat on the meditation of the two standards, or two flags. When armies would come into battle, one side would come in and they'd have their flag and represented their nation, what they stood for. And the other side would have theirs. And essentially, he says, look, the world's in the midst of this cosmic battle. And there are two kingdoms at war. The kingdom of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of light and goodness and mercy and truth. And the kingdom of the devil, which is a kingdom of, of warfare and hatred. Of every, it opposes everything Christ stands for. And you and I, every person, we get to choose what side you want to fight for. And so imagine those two flags, and you're standing there before Jesus Christ, and he's saying, you pick. You want to fight for me, or you want to fight against me? And that's the decision, that's the dignity that each one of us have to be able to make that decision. Staring Jesus Christ in the eyes and say, I'm with you, or being honest enough to sit back and say, I am not with you. Don't live in the middle. Where we, we pretend it doesn't matter. No, that's to waste it and misunderstand the whole meaning of life. That's the power of the narrative of salvation history to recognize. That's the choice we should make. And every day we make decisions, we make choices in our nitty-gritty daily lives that lead us to one banner or to the other, one flag or the other. Yeah, there, there's a simple uh, principle that we've got up on our refrigerator. It's just kind of a progression of thoughts. It's, it's sow a thought and reap an action. Sow an action and reap a habit. So a habit and we a character, so a character and we've a destiny. Our, it all begins with how we're thinking. What are we thinking? The choices we make. Our eternal destiny is determined through a series of events that begin with thinking rightly. And that's the gift of knowing the story. It really is the paradigm, the way of looking at life that allows us to see things accurately so we can have the right thoughts and make the right choices.
teen, our lives are caught up in a much larger story, a drama that's been going on from the beginning of time, a struggle between good and evil, between what the early Christian theologian St. Augustine called the city of God and the city of man. Every day we're making choices that lead us either closer to being the kind of person God made us to be, or farther away from him. Choices that build up the city of God or build up the city of man. Now it's time for you to enter the story. How well will you play your part? Let the choices you make every day lead you closer to the face of Christ. All right, so that kind of gives you a sense of what we're gonna be unpacking as we move forward. I think that's a great um, film. I will tell you that Co-Cathedral and St. Michael both have a subscription to formed.org, which is where I got this from. Um, you have free access to movies, Bible studies, faith formation programs. The um, passcodes are on both of our websites. You can use either one, it doesn't matter. Um, and once you're signed in, you have access to hundreds of videos, saint movies, again, so many things. There's also a great program called Search, and it kind of talks about our origin. So if those that are science kind of oriented, you might enjoy that as well. So, um, so anyway, I'm really looking forward to working with each and every one of you as we kind of move forward. Um, next week, I'm actually not going to be here. Mark McNeil is going to be here to open up the creed for you. There will be a sign-in sheet out here, so make sure you sign. If you don't sign in, you don't get credit for being here. So make sure you sign in and leave your name tag here so that you don't leave it home and you'll have it. And um, if you need a sponsor commitment form, I have blank ones up here. I think for those of you who registered early enough, um, I sent one to you as, long, as well as the schedule, so you can pick that up. On the back of the commitment for a sponsorship form also is an emergency contact for you. I need that, like your mom, your dad, somebody, and that's mostly for the day of the retreat, but it also can be used elsewhere. Also, don't forget to put the name of the confirmande on there, because you'll put the sponsor's name, but you don't put your name at the top, so I don't know who it's for. So make sure you do that as well. Any questions, comments, concerns before we say goodbye for the day? All right, well, it's just a pleasure to be with you. Enjoy the rest of this gorgeous day. And why don't we um, end with um, a prayer to um, our Father. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Please pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great day, everybody. Great to have you. Leave your name tags here so I can have them for you next time. If you have any questions, feel free. I'm here.